Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Joshua gives the account of how God led His people into the Promised Land. Though they continued to display a lack of faith in God, He remained faithful to the promise He made to Abraham and his descendants. Let's join Pastor Ross now as he guides us through the book of Joshua. Well, during most of the year, the Jordan River was about 100 feet wide, but in the spring, it was more like a mile wide. It was that flood stage in spring. Here's a picture of the actual Jordan River at flood stage. People of God on one side, present-day Jordan, uh, ready to cross in to the Jericho region of Israel proper. But the only thing that separated them from obtaining a 400-year-old promise was this water, one mile wide, And the people of God had to get across it. Not one or two, but one or two million people. And so, once again, a place where God's power would be made perfect through man's weakness, which is kind of the motto of the gospel. God doing what we could never do in our own strength. And oftentimes he has to help us to receive that great truth by placing us in circumstances where we have no, no ability but to accept that was the hand of God. And here we go again. And so we're going to leave that on there until the next point. The only barrier, barrier as I said, uh, is this um, river. And it'll be the first time when they cross, as we've been seeing in Joshua chapter 3, now in 4. The crossing takes two chapters, and we're going to look at the last half in chapter 4 today. And uh, it's the first time that these Hebrews are going to step foot on prime Jewish real estate. I mean, this is their land. And they end up at the West Bank. And today, the West Bank is disputed property. But God calls it Israel from the moment that their feet touch the other side of the Jordan. And so as we've been seeing and keeping with the prophetic foreshadowing that these events um, uh, tell us about, the New Testament truths that they portray... As 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 4, tells us that these are pictures of full-grown salvation and the gospel that we inherit. And so in keeping with this picture, we see that uh, the way to make your transition from where you are now to where God wants you, there are key principles that are always the same. Number one, we saw that the Ark of the Covenant was going out before them. The presence of the Lord must guide you because you can't get to where God wants you to go without God being your guide because you don't know where he wants you to be. And so, and you don't know how to get there, but Jesus, uh, he's the way, the truth, and the life. So you do know the way, but you need to stay close to him. The second principle was that the people had to sanctify themselves. And it just showed 
the repentance factor, that if we're going to transition with God, kind of linking up with God, who's holy and morally pure, then we have to turn from that evil and consecrate our hearts. He who has a filthy heart is not going to go far with God uh, until that's dealt with. And so the third and final thing is just stepping out. And the Lord uh, told them to get their feet wet. They had to cross first. He said, put your foot in, and when you put your foot in, then the waters will part. And then we talked about that last time, how man likes to say, well, as soon as you part, I will step in. And he says, no, I'm the master, you're the servant. And so I want you to trust me, step out in faith, and uh, perhaps you'll get your feet wet. And so the three key things were stay near, keep clean, and step out and trust him. And when they did those three things, we saw the waters of the Jordan pile up and they crossed on dry land. And here's what a picture of the riverbed So it went from the raging water to this, and they crossed on dry ground. Three times the Bible gives baptismal prophetic portrayals. Once, Genesis chapter 6 through 9, with the flood, Peter tells us in his first epistle that those who came through the floodwaters, Noah and eight souls only out of a very populated world, came through the waters of baptism. That was a symbol. Second time, Exodus chapter 14, he parts the Red Sea. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that was another symbol, baptism, through the waters of baptism. And then now, the River Jordan. Three times in the Old Testament, bringing God's people through the waters, signifying what is a very important ordinance of the New Testament church, the waters of baptism. And so when they did those three things, this happened, and two million people were able to cross over into the Jericho region of Israel. Verse 1, chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And so we're going to stop there and just consider, and we're going to make it through, Lord willing, the entire 
chapter, we begin with the Lord asking Israel as they're passing through, have you forgotten something? So Roman numeral number one, spiritual souvenirs. Now, after the last Hebrew is going to make their way onto the West Bank there at what will become Gilgal, a very important city in Israel, the Lord is saying, don't forget souvenirs. Now, the word, quite literally, he is saying, I want you to have spiritual souvenirs from the old French word souvenir, meaning memory or to recall. So one memorial stone for each of the 12 tribes. I want you to remember this because you have a tendency to forget what I do, what I can do, what I've taught you, what I've said. It goes in one ear and out the other. Some things never change. And so as it was with them, it is with us today. And uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9 says this in Moses' sermon before he died, which is Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is Moses' last sermon, two sermons, into one book before he died. So in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9 of that sermon, he says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. This is a very important Old Testament Jewish idea of the responsibility to, to remember, to recall, and to pass on not only to those around us, but to our children, the future generation. Memories are a powerful force that really connect us to the past, and they help shape our future. Now, the Lord is saying you must keep memories alive, um, not only the positive ones. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 7, about the golden calf, remember this and never forget how you provoked the Lord your God to anger in the desert. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you've been rebellious against the Lord. So not only when God moves on your behalf, but when God teaches you something or chastises you or disciplines you, he expects you to just build a foundation from which to live. So why? So that you can be blessed and learn and grow. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures in the Old Testament, Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. Our Christian lives ought to start with a little glimmer at dawn. And all through our lives, it ought to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And the way that that happens for mature Christians is not when stuff goes in one ear and out the other or experiences happen to you. And then uh, three weeks later, you're in a similar situation and everything goes out the window and God has to start at A again. And you've already been all the way to M, but you have to go back to A like it's the very first week of your Christian life. You fall to pieces how many times have you been in that situation where God has come through for you and yet you have to start all over again? He says, if you take a stone and, and put it in a place you can see, 
Maybe that'll help you. You know, they didn't have pictures. They didn't have iPhones, I should say. They didn't have cameras. And so it was even harder for them. At least we could, you know, take a picture or we can flip through an album and and look at a, a house we used to live in and recall how God was faithful to us in that day. They didn't have that. So the Lord is saying, pick up some stones, put them over there, make a pile, a memorial. And then when your kids see it, you'll be able to tell the whole story, not only for their sake, but for your own anxious heart every time that you are struggling. Victories the Lord has wrought, lessons the Lord has taught. These must be actively, intentionally recalled and built upon. A Spanish-American philosopher is the one who said, those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it. And you know what happened with Israel? The first generation falls short of, of the dream. They lose the dream because they won't do this simple thing. Learn from the golden calf experience. Remember when you got burned because you were doing something foolish or rebellious. Associate the discomfort and displeasure of disobedience with pain. Make the connection. So that the very next time you're tempted to do the very same thing that brought you the pain, you'll remember instead of a fantasy, you'll remember the pain. And you won't do it. You won't remember the shimmering gold of the calf. You'll remember the ashes that were ground that you had to drink of it, if you recall there in Exodus chapter 32, I believe. Psalm 103 and verse 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Oh, why did he say that? Because we do. Don't keep forgetting. Now, the disciples had spiritual amnesia. You know, the second feeding of the multitude. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And then two chapters later, Mark chapter 6, he feeds 5,000 people. It really totals about 10, if you count everybody, Jews. And then two chapters later, in Mark chapter 8, he feeds 4,000 Gentiles. The disciples are asked the very same question, where do you suppose we're going to get the bread? He just did this two chapters ago. Where would we get bread to feed all of these people? Same exact answer. It's only been two chapters, Philip. Come on. You know, and and before we get down on Philip, let us remember our falling apart last month like we were some kind of baby Christian. Well, some challenge came up. Oh, what's going to happen? We're going to have to pray. It's that bad. Wow. The second storm on the Sea of Galilee. The first one, it got handled. Jesus just said, Stop. It was done. Second storm. So Matthew chapter 8, first storm. Matthew chapter 14, second storm. They are freaked on the second storm. They think they see a ghost out there. They fall apart again. Why? They forgot about the previous time. Forget not all his benefits. By the way, not One of them is at the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. Not one. The ones that happen by are coming with embalming spices for a dead body. 
Not one. Do you know how many times he said on the third day I'll rise? On the third day I'll rise. The Son of Man will go to Jerusalem. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be flogged, spit upon. They will insult him. He will be crucified. But on the third day he will rise. But on the third day he will rise. But on the third day he will rise. Not one of them were there. Why? They forgot. We forgot that last part. They're distracted. Time has gone on. And it goes on and on and on. Memories are powerful. Testimonies are helpful. He wants us to have an abundant life. He's saying, please stop forgetting or stop pretending that you have forgotten. And so God, um, God, the way God has worked in Israel's past and your past is a sure indication of how he is now currently working, though you cannot see it, and how he will continue to work in the future. His past is his bond to you. So you just need to recall that. Now, I love this, and then we'll move on. Bruce Waltke, a a very famous Bible commentator. Memory plays an important role in any society. Without it, we lose our identity. Uh, Without a history to sustain it, a society and a world around it become virtually phantom. Any society that hopes to endure must become, as sociologists put it, a community of memory and hope, and that's what he's asking, especially for the kids. He says, for your kids' sake, could you talk about what I did here? Let me help you. I will put a pile of 12 stones, and every time they walk by it, they're going to say, what's up with the 12 stones? You get to tell the story all over to them. And God was so into this, passing on our faith to kids. He, he told them, In Exodus chapter 10, verse 2, right after the plagues, he says, quote, Tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Brag about the power of God so that your kids will grow up in awe of me, knowing that they can trust themselves and their lives to a God who will act on their behalf with great power and might. He says, you tell them what I did to to your enemies. I love that. The Passover, the feasts, the holidays, the seven holidays are, are all about when your kids ask, why are we celebrating? Why is this night different from all the others? Well, let me tell you. And he says, you tell your kids. When they ask, what's up with the Passover lamb? Tell them the story. Pass on your faith. When our Zach and our Caitlin came up from Memorial Day, you know, some of you don't know who I'm talking about. They're in their early 20s. Zach is a, a, a uh, mechanical engineering major. He, he works at Lockheed Martin, Martin right now. And Caitlin is... Um, taking care of autistic kids. That's her job. But before they moved to San Jose, they had about a week to find a place, and they were in a real jam because after a week, and I've mentioned this before to some of you, uh, they would have to move their stuff into some place for storage. They'd have no place to live. They had a week. Caitlin came up with Zach on Memorial Day weekend, and she said, I remember when you said, 
I can't wait to hear your story because there's going to be a great story. You only got five days, really, Monday through Friday, to find a place. And I know you're going to have a great story, but I, I just can't wait to hear it. And then I told her one of our stones. I took one of our stones, and I said, let me tell you about this stone. When, when, when Jordan was one and a half and Barb was pregnant with Zachary, I lost my job. Very good income and uh, very good insurance. She's pregnant. We don't know what to do. We decide to move down to Fuller uh, Seminary down in Pasadena. And so I call Fuller Housing, and I say, look, uh, time is short. I really need to get down there. And she says, oh, there's a big, long uh, list of names before you. And even if you get in, it's about $1,000 or more for an apartment that would accommodate two little babies like that. But I just hung up with some older gentleman who, who really almost wants to donate a granny unit to one of the students. I don't know why I'm giving this to you out of all the people, but I'm going, going to give you his number. God bless you. So I call the number. I'm frantic. I've got just a little bit of time. I'm a pregnant wife and a little baby. No money, no job, nothing. And I know I have to move to Los Angeles to go to seminary. I call Howard. Howard answers the phone. Hello. I said, Howard, I've told the story before because it's a stone. It always gets brought back up. Howard, this is Ross. Oh, yes, Ross. I, 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 I want to know about your granny unit. Have you, have you got somebody in it yet? Oh, no. Oh, no. I just, I just called the seminary. And I said, oh, okay, good. Uh, I'm interested. Okay, what color do you want the carpets? And I, so I put my hand over and I go, Barb, what color do you want the carpets? So she said, you know, he said, well, what do you think about a blue-gray thing? And Barb's like, she doesn't even know what, does he even know who you are? I said, well, Howard, I've got a wife, and she's pregnant, marvelous, marvelous, and, and, and a little baby, and, 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 oh, Grandma just went home to be with the Lord. You know, that house is just really perfect. It's behind us. It's got fruit trees. You're going to love it. I said, Howard, do you want an application? Oh, we're all Christian brothers. You go to the seminary, right? Yes. You're going to be a pastor? Oh, well, we're all Christian brothers. I said, do you want to References. Do you want to meet me? Do you want to, do you want to put deposit? No, just tell me the day you want to move in. <laughs> then I say, how much? And he says, is $300 a month going to be too much for you? Because if it is, I don't need the money. And you folks, you just have a little baby. When you can pay me, you can pay me. I hang up the phone, do a little dance. I'm not going to show you the dance I did. <laughs> That's a stone. That is a stone. And so do you know how many times in 30 years that we've had a deadline to meet? I just bring that stone out. And remember, God says, I'm the same God that did that. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't move out of town. I didn't forget who you are. 
I can keep doing stuff like that. Could you please spare yourself the days of endless worry and the roller coaster of up and down and up and down and just know, be still and know, I am God. Still, I really am. And so I told them that. So she gets all excited. They go down to San Jose. They're at floodwater stage. They've got four days, five days. They don't have jobs. Nothing to put on income. Zero. They go down on faith. They look at some apartments, and the manager's wearing a Christian T-shirt. So Zach strikes up the conversation. They start talking. And he says, look, I've got one problem. I don't have a job, (laughs) and neither does Caitlin. But we're going to have jobs. And I'm a man of my word. I'm a PK. I grew up in the church. We have good credit. I pay my bills. You can call my father. <laughs> Two days later, uh, they call on his birthday. You know, we need the stone to be the stone, you know. So on his birthday, he calls. He goes, I'm a little concerned about the no income. And then the wife is in the background saying, you tell them we love them. <laughs> the part of the story, the stone, right? And on his birthday, with no income to put down, we do not work, we do not have an income, he says, the place is yours. In time, everything falls into place. And so she was telling me, rehearsing the whole thing, and she said, and I say, you've got a stone. You've got a story. And you're going to tell that to your kids. And I'm going to tell my story to your grandchildren in just a few couple years. I didn't give them a date or anything. And you know, they listen to all of these. Hello, Caitlin. Moving on. And Zach, hello. Can we move on now? All right, thank you. They're, they nodded yes. So remember, encourage your own faith. Calm your own anxiety. Remember to choose the right path. Build the foundation in young hearts, all from able and quick recall. We better move on. Verse 8 to 18. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to the camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remaining stand. I'm sorry, remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. 
That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And as the priests came up out of the river, carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. So in this section, you have the nation passing over, the priests coming through, and then also the Jordan returning to its flow. A couple um, reflections on this uh, portion of the scripture. Um, As the nation passes through, I want you to notice something that The number 12 is mentioned five times in eight verses. And in that, each tribe is represented. No one is left out. One people, one community. Uh, Now, they enter the land together. They fight together. They worship together. They experience salvation and life together. This is a very important concept about salvation and the gospel that a lot of Christians don't like because we live in a very independent culture as Americans. Uh, The scriptures say over and over in these two chapters, all the nation, all of Israel, the 12, the 12, the 12, the 12, it's about all of them. It's about community. Listen to actually Zach and Caitlin's pastor One of the teaching pastors had a sermon posted online. Here's a quote from this chapter. This indicates this allness, all of Israel, the 12, the 12, the 12. This indicates that Christians are part of something much bigger than themselves. Our salvation is experienced in community. What happens to one happens to all. Uh, Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Unless we have a real sense of community, our life in Christ is diminished. Our joy and hope is cut short. In the land, there is great strength drawn from community. This is what people are longing for today. They long to connect, to be accepted and loved, to be given the chance to be themselves. That is how the church is to function, our own church especially, is to be such a place. So that's very important. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's very, very important for all of us to function with all its members doing what everybody is God called to do in harmony and peace and whatever it takes for us to know that I'm a part of you, you're a part of me, my actions, my words affect the community. Uh, It's not a choice. It's the way it is. The Lord does not not see the church as members individually so much as the church as we are connected one to the other. Don't try to do this thing alone. It'll never work for you to isolate. You'll be frustrated. You'll get weak. And the body of Christ will miss out as well. So notice that. And also from this section, notice the priests. Because they have a lot of courage. And I want to 
point something out that you might have missed here. And by the way, the New Testament application of what the priests, who they are, is of course us. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are a kingdom of priests. And so we fulfill that Old Testament picture of the priests and that the Holy Spirit now lives in our hearts and God sees us as intermediaries. Now, listen, they're the first to do the hard thing. It's the priests who go in first to, to step into the water. They were, are going to lead by example. Nobody wants to be the first one in. Nobody wants to have to get wet. Nobody wants to be the first hand to be raised. Nobody wants to be the first to say, I'm sorry, in a dispute. We hate being first. We do not want to be the first down a trail that has not been blazed. But to have the courage of the Old Testament priests, who you now are in a New Testament sense, you are his representative to the world, you must be willing to step out and do the thing and lead by example when others do not wish to. The mature Christian is the one who will step out and lead by example when others wish not to. And they must put themselves in the most vulnerable place. Check this out. The priests are having to stand in the middle of the Jordan while the waters are being piled up and held back. The priests stand there while everybody else passes on to safety. But the priests can't. And don't you kid yourself. Those priests were looking at the piled up water as everybody's passing through and they're not allowed to go. They have to stay there and make sure that everybody gets to safety. They have to be patient. They have to be uh, gracious. They have to have a lot of courage. And it's called standing in the gap there. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. Those priests are standing in the gap and allowing others to go before them. They're exposed they're vulnerable. They're having uh, to exercise a great deal of patience and trust in the Lord. The clock is ticking and the waters are being held back. Who knows what's going to happen? But it's you first. That's how leaders are. That's what God wants us to be like. In verse 18, who's the last out of the water? The priests. Today, it's totally different. Leaders are, are pampered and peop, leaders would be carried over while the least significant people would have to say, you go down there and you start the process. You put your foot in while I'm carried over because I have uh, honor and privilege and specially I'm, I'm accepted from those kinds of things because I'm a leader. Listen to this quote. As God's representatives and his servant ambassadors our own comfort and convenience must often take a back seat to the needs of others who must be assisted in their passing from death to life. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just call them all to safety from the other side, where we stand comfortably and secure on the outer banks? No, we have to be down with them in the thick of things where fears are real, the prayers are necessary, and faith is indispensable, and trust 
must grow. And so it's quite a lot different than in the world. The Lord, you know, wrapped a towel around himself and he washed dirty feet gladly. And Jesus said, this is where greatness is. I am the Lord of glory and I'm washing dirty feet. He says, you want to find happiness? This is where to find it. Put others first above yourself and you will be blessed. Go and do as I have just shown you and you will be happy. Stop wanting your feet washed because that's the way to misery. Everybody wants to be served, of course, and it's fun to be served. But he says you need to be about serving. And so that's what we see as these priests. It's just wonderful. They're the first to lead into the water. They're the ones who, who are stuck in the middle of it all with the hot sun and, and all of that. And they're the last to come up. And that's the way it is for the mature Christian. Unless, of course, you're not. And then none of these things apply. Finally, let's wrap it up. Uh, let's be like Jesus, our great high priest, because this is really who we're talking about. We'll uh, finish the chapter. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up, set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. By the way, Gilgal means circle. Commentators say they put the memorial stones in a circle and named that region Gilgal, meaning circle. He said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? You tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Chapter 4 is now finished and a few comments and then we're done. The memorial is set up here. They're called to remember, pass the testimony along to future generations. But I hope you don't miss, there's always, always a kicker in the end. And I hope you don't miss it. Most of the commentators missed it. Some commentators get it. That's where I got it from. Watch this. The high priest standing in the gap while everybody walks through to the other side. Of course, it's Jesus Christ. And he wants you to remember that, the Holy Spirit putting this little date in there. He says, on the 10th day, the first month, which is Nisan, it's the same date the Passover lamb is selected just before the crossing of the Red Sea. So for the first generation, back in Exodus 12, listen to what the Lord says. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be your first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Forty years later, on the day, 
he gets two million people to cross the Jordan on the day he wants it to happen, on the 10th day of Nisan, where they have to now not only remember the crossing of the Jordan, but the lamb, the Passover lamb, that makes any crossing from death to life possible. It's a picture of Jesus Christ standing in the gap, the first one, of course, to initiate, to put his foot into the Jordan River, to part the seas for us, his people. And then standing in the gap, nailed to a cross. Talk about being in, a, in the middle of an uncomfortable situation. Hanging on the cross for six hours as our sins are being paid for and the people are flooding through. And as they get through... It's time for the priest to come up to safety. Not for Jesus. The waters close in over this great high priest's head. And he is drowned. So that we can live. He says, it happened. Remember this on the 10th day of Nisan to tie the crossing to the Passover lamb. And now, whenever you remember, it's tied to the merit of the lamb's blood for whom, um, through whom we death passes over and we live. So the, the crossing of the Jordan and the Passover lamb are remembered at the same time. Both declare the salvation of God God passing over our sin, God standing in the gap, God becoming the servant who is exalted, God initiating a new life. And so it's just an amazing thing that not only the waters could part, but that God can do it on the day he wants. Just how does he do stuff like that? The same God who put Jesus, God equals Jesus in every way. Jesus equals God, I should say. God, Jesus ends up on the cross on Passover, even though the Jews didn't want it to happen on Passover. They said, not on the Passover, lest there be a riot. But God says, oh, no, it will happen. As they are sacrificing the lambs, Jesus is on the cross. When he breathes his last, the lambs are slain. How do you time that down to that? How do you get two million people to cross on one day of the year that it's going to link the Passover to the crossing? And now you have two stones that we have today in the New Testament church. We have two signs given us. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are Christian stones. And here you see them linked right there together. Those are the two things. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the Passover lamb. When we are baptized, we are remembering that we are united to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. The waters of Jordan now covering Jesus Christ as the great high priest and drowning him Three days later, he rises up, we with him, to the promise of new life. But those two stones are right here linked together. 
1,400 years before Jesus will even be born in Bethlehem. And now, forever, a memorial, two stones tied right here. Just an amazing God. The Bible, not a book of, of man, man's origin or doing. You can't put all of these layers upon layers upon layers together. It's, it's a supernatural doing. Just seen in that one little verse. And that's why your text says, the last sentence, so the whole world will know the two things. The blood of the Lamb that makes your crossing from death to life happen. And the covering, the baptism, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cleansing of our sins, the renewal of life, but the burial of the old. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. It's amazing. It humbles us. It unravels us. We're just in awe of you. And tonight, a little bit of the fear of the Lord, which you say in the last verse is supposed to be the product of our remembering. It's the reverence of a God so so loving and amazing so awesome we bow our hearts before you we ask that you would work in a mighty way to encourage us father in jesus name amen you've been listening to the rocks podcast our regular services are held on sunday mornings at 8 30 and 10 30 a.m in santa rosa california if you'd like to learn more please visit our website at cctherock.org